Good morning. It is my great joy to welcome you to City Reach LA. My name is Josh Houston. I'm the lead pastor here. <laughs> Thank you. If you ever need an encouragement, just come to this girl right here, Annie. She will give you some. I'm eager to preach today. I've been um, very excited. I want to open in prayer, though. Abba, we just want you. We want more of you. So we, we open our hearts now, and we, just, we ask that you would meet us here, transform us. I pray that you speak to us, and like the, the men on the road to Emmaus, Lord, that, you would, that our hearts would burn inside our chests because of what you're doing. We love you, God. We give you this time. Amen. You know, I read an article this week about a new study by Computers in Human Behavior, and the study found that people who use more social media platforms, more social media platforms are more at risk for depression and anxiety. Makes sense, right? And those that reported using 7 to 11 platforms were three times more likely to suffer from depression. 7 to 11 social media platforms. Gosh, right? I mean, have you guys noticed that we lived in a chronically anxious culture? It, and just go on the, just watch the news for 20 minutes, go on social media for 20 minutes, widespread depression, despair, this, this profound existential like hopelessness about life. You just see it all over the place. Um, depression, it just seems to be embedded into the fabric of our civilization. And it's hard to watch. It's actually hard to watch it. It eats at our faith. It eats at our ability, our ability to experience meaning and fulfillment and to, to picture an enjoyable future for ourselves. Anybody ever suffer from depression or be close to someone who suffers from depression? It's suffocating. It dissolves hope. And life without hope is not much of a life. It's been said there's no greater burden than to wait without hope. Dostoevsky once wrote, to live without hope is to cease to live. Hope paints color into our lives. Hope summons the future. Hope breeds joy. And what I want to talk about today is that catalyst, the catalyst to hope is vision. This is why vision is so critical for our lives. Without vision, without this projection or casting in front of us what is possible for us, depression and despair, they, they seem to gain ground in our lives. And eventually they, they convince us that hope is a mirage. That's why, we need to set, that's why we need to set a vision out in front of us. So today, I'm continuing our two-week series on vision. This is, this is Vision Sunday, week two. And the way I want to start today is by distinguishing vision, mission, and values because they're uniquely indispensable, but they are unique, and they all play a distinct role in an organization moving forward. So what is vision? Vision is what we will look like if we are successful in the next five to ten years. So when you paint a picture of vision, you are saying, what does success look like if we move forward? Success. Sometimes I have a hard time saying success. I say sex on accident. What does sex look? No, I'm not saying that. What does success look like for us in five to ten years? I'm just throwing it out there in case I accidentally do it, all right? And it's important that we know what success looks like because success happens <laughs> by intentionality. Here's a little nugget for you. You can't call it success if you don't know how you got there. That's luck. Successful people know how they got to success. Vision, it paints a picture for us of what success looks like. And last week, I painted a picture of the vision God gave me for our church. 
If you weren't there, please go back to the podcast and listen to it or go back and watch it on Facebook Live. I asked God for a vision. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. God, who are we to be? What are we to be about? And this is what he gave me. We are to be a church that passionately adores God, that lives authentically and vulnerably together and makes tangible differences in our city, tangible impacts in our city. This is the vision. Love God, love self, love neighbor. That's what we're about. This is where we're headed. This is success for us. Now, our mission is different from our vision. Our mission is our reason for existence. It's the purpose of existence. The vision shows us where we're headed, but the the mission defines our purpose as we move forward. Again, I've prayed a lot about this. God, why is our church here? Why is it necessary that weekly we gather in your name and then we scatter in your name as a community of faith? What is our purpose And this is what I received, to know Jesus and make him known. This is why we exist as a church, to know Jesus and make him known. And we're going to come back to this quite a bit today. I want to keep moving forward. We also have values. Values are different from vision and mission. Values are principles that define what we believe in and how we will behave. They're culture for us. Obviously, Obviously, as a church, We value many things, but we have four values here that we consider central. These are our core values. The way of Jesus, come as you are, church's family, and local and global mission. Anybody heard these phrases before? They're important to us. We like to say them a lot. This is what really matters to us. Obviously, a lot really matters. This really matters to us. Now, I'm a visual learner. Um, I, like, I like to have images to help grasp concepts. Anybody like me? So what I did was I, I drew up a framework for our vision, for how this is going to work, and I sent it to Nick, Nick Tedeschi, and he just turns everything into pretty things. So this is what he made. This is what he shot back to me. This is our vision framework. This, I, ha- I have this up in our church office, um, and I want you to hear this. I sincerely believe this is what will enable us to be successful at the vision. That committing to excellence in this is how we will effectively walk forward in the direction God's leading us. So again, the mission is our our reason for existence. So look to the center ring, to know Jesus and make him known. This is why we exist as a church. It's our our raison d'etre, our purpose for existing, our purpose for being. We're not merely about Sunday services. We're not just about programs. We exist as a community of faith to know Jesus, that this community would know Jesus and then go make him known. That's what we're about. And the next culture show, or the next ring shows our, our, our culture. It's our core values, our guiding cultural principles, and, and their deep beliefs is what they are that fuel our mission. They fuel our efforts, and I'm, I'm excited next week to start a four-week series on our core values. So for the month of February, we're going to be working through those, those four things, which I'm really stoked about. Come back for that. Core values. And then the outer ring is our core practices. This is what we do. These are important. Our Sunday gatherings, our community groups, the dream team. If you don't know what the dream team is, it's anybody that's on a serving team. All of our serving teams, they all make up the dream team. These are our central habits that propel us toward the mission and the vision. Does that make sense? So, and I show this because this actually matters to us. This isn't just a nice diagram that we throw up on paper. There's a lot of churches that have a nice mission statement. It has nothing to do with their actual church, right? And that's not what this is about. This actually matters to us. I look at this thing every single week in our office. 
Our staff sees this on the whiteboard at our church office every single week. If something doesn't fall into this, we don't do it. This is what we're about. This informs the vision. This empowers the vision. This fuels the vision. You guys with me? Okay. Today, what I want to zero in on is our mission, to know Jesus and make him known. Why that is not just important, but that it's vital for us to know Jesus and to make him known. And with that, I want to jump into some scripture, and we're going to hop around a little bit today. So I'm going to have everything up on the screen for you. And this is where we're starting, John 3.16. John 3.16, quite possibly the most widely familiar, yet most misunderstood scripture in all the scriptures. Possibly. This is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Who's heard that one? Anybody have that one memorized, right? Learned that one when I was like four years old, right? It's like one of the first ones they teach you. And for centuries, much of the church has interpreted this as God loves the world so much that he gave Jesus to die on the cross. And whoever believes in him will not die and go to hell, but they go to heaven for eternity. They get to be with him for eternity. That if you believe in Jesus, you don't burn in hell. You get permitted entrance into heaven. Yes? Eternal life. An evacuation plan. Fire insurance. Funny thing is, Jesus actually defines eternal life later. Literally, straight up in John 17. He's praying to his father, and this is what he says. Next slide, please. Yeah, here we go. Jesus looked toward heaven, and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is critical for us understanding John 3.16. The Christian message is that our creator has invited us into eternal life, but for many, eternal life is something waiting to be experienced after death. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, this may sound to us, 21st century Americans, like mere head knowledge, but the biblical no is always an intimate, personal, interactive relationship. To know someone is to intimately collide with that being. Please get this. Eternal life is not getting to heaven when we die. Eternal life is living intimately with Jesus now. Eternal life is not about getting to heaven when we die. It's about living intimately with him right now. So let's go back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have intimacy with God. That changes the context a little bit, yeah? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, in the way of Jesus, where we're headed is not a destination. It's a union. But we get distracted by where we're going. We get distracted by what we're supposed to accomplish. I've discovered that Christians love to use the language of promised land. Anybody ever heard that one or used that one before? Figuratively, like I'm in slavery, but God is leading me to the promised land. Or I'm in the desert, but the promised land is a coming, right? And they fix their eyes on whatever their vision or their version of promised land looks like. 
But have you ever looked in scripture why God took the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's a small verse, actually. I missed it for years. Most Christians I've experienced have, or I, that I know, that I've talked to, have not seen this. God had Moses lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the desert, not to get to the promised land. He did it so that they would find him in the desert. In Exodus 7, God instructs Moses. This is what he tells Moses. Tell Pharaoh, God sent me to tell you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. He pulled him out of slavery for the purpose of intimacy with him. It's really not about where you're going. It's about finding God where you are. It's about learning to worship him at your present location and then at your next location because your next location is going to be your present location. Friends, knowing Jesus is what this whole thing is about. Intimacy with Jesus is not the best approach to the game of life. It is the game. It's the whole thing. Let's keep digging here. Look at the Apostle Paul. Remarkable man of God. Astounding list of accomplishments. Incredible resume. Probably one of the greatest in the history of the church. Yet in his letter to the Philippians, this is what he writes. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) If somebody thinks they're awesome, I'm awesomer. That's what he's saying. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He's just going, swagger, swagger. That's what he's saying right now. Next slide. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I italicized the point I want to note here. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can we sit with that for a second? The Apostle Paul, church planner extraordinaire, writer of much of the New Testament we read today, one of the most famous Christians of all time. This guy says, you want to compare resumes? Let's go. I'm going to beat you every single time. I'm the man. And when I hold my resume up against the the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, when I hold my resume up against the value of knowing Jesus, Jesus, intimacy with Jesus. In comparison to my accomplishments, everything I've done is garbage. More literally, excrement is what he says. The best of the best of the best that I've done is garbage in comparison to knowing Jesus. Paul very intentionally wanted to create this stark contrast between the best he could accomplish and the significance of encountering the person of Jesus. So if the Apostle Paul wanted to say, hey, my best is crap up against knowing Jesus, what do you think he'd say about your best? About my best. This, I mean, this is, this is what I really hope and pray, Lance, today. More than anything you can do for God, more than anything you can achieve in life, the thing God wants most from you is intimacy with you. To know and be known by him. True, honest, transparent, vulnerable knowing. 
What God wants most for you and from you is that you would know him and be known by him. We were created entirely to know Jesus. It's your life's purpose. And like it, I like to say it this way. Intimacy with Jesus is the first button in the first hole of our faith journeys. So put on my shirt today. First button in the first hole. Second button in the second hole. All the way up. If I put the first button in the second hole, it doesn't matter how many I get right after that. The whole thing's going to sit crooked. Right? Got to put the first button in the first hole. Intimacy with Jesus is the first button in the first hole of our faith journeys. If we don't get this piece right, it really doesn't matter what else we get right. It all sits crooked. And what I've come to know is that you were created with an appetite for intimacy with God. And unfortunately, we're trained in satisfying that need and satisfying that craving with all things that can't satisfy that need. Let me give you an example. Let's say I call you up tonight and I'm like, hey, Amanda just created a feast. I know she had a baby three weeks ago, but she's on fire right now, and she's created this feast. She's got appetizers. She's got multiple courses. She's got desserts. you got to come over to our place right now. And you were like, I would love to, but I just had nine nacho cheese Doritos Locos tacos. Doesn't matter how good our food is, you're not going to have any room left in, in your stomach for it. Tastiest meal could be sitting in front of you, your mouth watering, your nose tantalized, your eyes bugging because it looks so delicious, but you're not going to have anywhere to put it. We're built with an appetite for intimacy with God. You're created with an inborn longing to experience this profound intimacy with him, but you can run to other things first, and they can satisfy the immediate craving. They can satisfy that urgent hunger, but they can't satisfy that deep, maybe even unrealized longing for God. It doesn't matter how good. It doesn't matter how satisfying. It doesn't matter how life-changing intimacy with Jesus is. If you're already filled up with Doritos Locos tacos, you're not going to have any room for them. We're trained in satisfying that need, that craving with all things that can't satisfy that need. So here's what we do. We chase pseudo-intimacy. We chase false intimacy, but then we get upset at the consequences. We run to all these things that can't satisfy us, and then we get pissed because they wreak havoc on our lives. Church, you're created for intimacy with Jesus. Knowing Jesus makes everything else make sense. Intimacy with Jesus gives color, it gives flavor, it gives scent to all the other good stuff that makes up our lives. But we should ask this, what is intimacy? And what is intimacy not, right? So let's pull on this thread a little bit. The most basic, fundamental approach to intimacy is this, to, be, to know and be known by another. To know and be known by another. That is what intimacy is. It's the desire it's ultimately the action that leads a person to know and be known by another person. And Jesus calls us to know him, to allow ourselves to be fully exposed, fully seen, and fully known by him. But here's the thing. Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on anybody. He just gently invites us into intimacy. Knowing Jesus, intimacy with Jesus, this is the reason that you exist. Now, a few things intimacy is not. Intimacy is not about shoulds. 
It is not to be entered into because we're supposed to. A lot of Christians have a bad case of the shoulds. Relationship with God is the moral approach to life. What we should do with our lives, but shoulds can get us in real trouble. Shoulds can take a religious individual and turn him into a resentful Pharisee pretty fast. I've seen it. Intimacy is not about shoulds. Intimacy is also not about fear. It's not intended to be fear-based, fear-fueled. Now, you may ask, well, doesn't the scriptures, don't they talk about us fearing God? It's a different type of fear. Scriptural fear, biblical fear, in that context means to revere. It means to respect. It means to stand in awe of, not to be fearful of. Kind of like gravity. Anybody afraid of gravity? That would be weird, right? But you're not going to go stand on a 10-story building and jump off today, right? Because you respect it. It could have its way with you. You know what gravity is capable of. Gravity is a much more powerful force than you are. So you respect it and you learn to live in light of it, right? Similarly, similarly, God could have his way with us today if he wanted to. He's a much more powerful force. So we respect him and we learn to live in light of his power. While never forgetting, he's a very good God. He's a loving and tender and gracious Heavenly Father. So we need not walk on eggshells around him. He wants relationship and intimacy with his kids, and intimacy is not fueled by fear. Additionally, the goal of intimacy is not about sin management. This is Dallas Willard's language. It's not about sinning less. It's not, Christianity and following Jesus is not just a list of to-dos and a list of to-don'ts to avoid sin and hardship. Just like the goal of my marriage is not to not, to not get divorced. All right, Amanda, another year we didn't get divorced, baby. That's a crappy marriage, <laughs> right? If your goal is don't get divorced, the goal of our marriage is, is flourishing, life-giving relationship with each other, intimacy with each other. It's chasing intimacy for intimacy. To know and be known for the sake of knowing and being known. And to add one more to the list, intimacy is not about what you gain from it. What? What if the reason I got married was that I could have someone who would cook me dinners and do the dishes, take out the trash, and walk Goonie, he's our mini schnauzer, and grocery shop and do my laundry and make my bed or rub my feet? What if I got married because that's what I wanted? That's a crappy marriage, right? That's not intimacy. But we do it to Jesus. Rabbi Abraham Tversky, not Twerky, Tversky, he tells the story of two men in conversation. The older man says, young man, why are you eating that fish? The young man says, because I love fish. The older man says, oh, you love the fish. That's why you took it out of the water and you killed it and you boiled it. Don't tell me you love the fish. You love yourself. And because the fish tastes good to you, you took it out of the water and you killed it and you boiled it. So much of what we call love is fish love. Two people fall in love, but do they merely see in the other someone they believe will, will satisfy their physical and emotional needs? That's not love. The other person has simply become, they just have been reduced down to, to a vehicle for my own gratification. Intimacy is not about knowing the other in order to receive what I'm going to receive. It's not just about me getting what I want to get. It's about giving 
giving into this thing. Another rabbi, Rabbi Dessler, says this. People make a serious mistake in thinking you give to those whom you love. The real answer is you love those to whom you give. Jesus wants us to know him because we want to know him. Not because we're going to get something out of it. Not because we're selfishly going to gain from this thing. Eternal life is what is offered to you. He says, this is what I have. I'm going to give you eternal life. Knowing the creator of the universe. True, honest, life-giving intimacy. And all this sits in the framework of the gospel, the good news that you're a sinner far more than you know. And you are loved far more than you know. In the words of the, the late, great Brendan Manning, Jesus loves you just as you are and not as you should be because none of us are as we should be. God does not love you for your potential. God does not love you theologically because he has to. He's ruthlessly enamored by you. He is passionately in like with you. He is super impressed with you. Your honored sons, your cherished daughters of the king, this is what he offers you today. You get the better end of the deal too. The better end of the invitation for intimacy with the God of the universe, the God of infinity says to you today, know me and be known by me. And in my opinion, if knowing Jesus, if intimacy with Jesus, if this does not become familiar territory for our church community, everything we manage, everything we accomplish actually matters very little. It would be a tragedy to give our lives for the cause of Christ but fail to know him. Because holding together all that we do is the reality that Jesus will never desire more mission from us than he will intimacy with us. I want to say that again. Jesus will never desire more mission from us than he will intimacy with us. But there's more. And then. Like, dude, where's my car? And then. Let me see that one. And then. <laughs> and then, and then, and then. It has to be shared. Like coffee for me. You guys are like, geez, you ever do a sermon without talking about coffee? I don't know. What was the last one I did? I don't remember. Once I experienced good coffee, specialty coffee, I found myself on mission to share the experience. <laughs> I now want those content with crappy coffee to be exposed that they have been lied to for so long. Coffee is not supposed to taste bitter and gross. No, no, no. It can taste like blueberries or grapefruits. It can smell of jasmine or rose. It can linger in the back of your throat like, like brown sugar or maple syrup. When it's good, it doesn't need any sugar or cream. You've settled for mediocrity, people. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Once I experienced knowing Jesus, I found, my, I found myself on mission to share the experience. I now want to find those content with false identities and expose the lie that they have believed for so long. Your life's purpose is not power. It's not success. It's not money. It's not pleasure. It's not control. No, no, no. When you know Jesus, he deposits joy into your soul. Servanthood, surrender, simplicity, these awaken our, they awaken our hearts to new life in him. And surrender to Jesus doesn't mean you lose yourself. In fact, you come more alive to your true self. 
When you're intimate with Jesus, when you know him, he frees you from the things that bind your heart and bind your, and your, they bind your mind. He offers this redemptive approach to the pain of your past, to your suffering. Church, knowing Jesus gets us moving, but making him known turns it into a dance. <laughs> if you don't know Jesus, your life is about encountering him. But once you know him, your life is about helping others encounter him. God is not a philosophical system to be discussed or a theory to be proven. In the biblical tradition, we only seem to know God by relating to him face to face. He wants to be wrestled with. He wants us to look in the eyes and say, what color are your eyes? What does your voice smell like? He wants us face to face with him. Almost as if God refuses to be known apart from love, apart from intimacy. It's all about relationship. Ours is a religion that is face to face. Today, Jesus looks in your eyes and says, know me and let me know you. It'll change your world. And then, don't keep it a secret. It's not just for your world. It's for all of those who live in my world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I want to invite Jackie and Josh back up. We're going to respond for a few few moments to what God's been doing in our hearts and what he's doing in the room right now. So I want to embolden you. Seek God. Know him. Make it your life's ambition in this moment. Who cares about an hour from now? In this moment, make it your supreme aim, your untainted intention to know Jesus and be known by him. It's your highest calling. And in my experience, whoever seeks Jesus genuinely, seeks Jesus, they find him. Maybe better, he he finds them. Know Jesus Be known by Jesus. It's your absolute purpose for breathing today. So Jesus, we give you our hearts right now. And as authentically as we can, we look to heaven and say, I want to know you. Individually, personally, and as a community, God, we want to know you and we want to be known by you. So we give you space, we give you room. Come meet us, God. May your presence, may your glory descend on us right now. Thick, palpably tangible in this room. Not that music influence, not that that a sermon inspired us, God, but that we have an encounter with the living Jesus right now. And that it would transform us, God. So we say yes to whatever you're doing in our hearts, God. I pray for burning hearts right now to chase you. Because Jesus, we love you. We adore you. We adore you, God.